I was a young Marine and kind of wild, but I would I would listen to him teach, and then I would kind of be like, wow, he knows so much, and he talks really good, because I'm from Louisiana, so this is as good as it gets right here. I tell people I'm not on medication, and I, you know... Because they're like, maybe lay off the volume before you speak. It can, I'm not on any. This is it. I'm actually out of control right now with excitement. Am I talking too fast? Because inside my brain, it's going really good. But, you know, you never remember everything, Bible teachers. Because, you know, you just kind of, by faith, loading up in your conscience and going, Lord, bring it back to me. Building up your spirit. But every once in a while, someone will say something that is such a nugget in your life. You Look at this, leaking here. What is that about? They're man tears, I can tell you right now. <laughs> these, these, <laughs> these will roll off and do mountain climbers. and I don't... Uh, uh. But I remember walking up to him at some conference or whatever. I don't even know if you remember this. You shouldn't. But I was just a, you know, and Marina said, hey, I really, you're a good Bible teacher. No warm fuzzies or touch. He just looks at me and he goes, the most important thing you can ever do in your life is live a pure life. He turned around and walked off. (laughs) You did. He just, you live a pure life, like purity. I was like, and I needed to hear that. That's why I got married and had five kids. <laughs> Thank you for hearing and saying. And it made a difference because I'm the first person in my family's history to get married, not commit adultery, and not get divorced. 32 years we celebrate this year. And uh, so, so grateful. I have a short amount of time, you know, and it feels like I'm here with family already. And it's a little nostalgic because my wife, we met and married here in this area. We actually met at Calvary Vista when Brian Broderson was there. And our first date, I would call it a date, but she would call it a, well, you're a nice guy. We'll just get together. (laughs) But she took me out for my birthday here in San Marcos uh, at Fish House Veracruz. And she bought me dinner. And I was like, that night I went home well, look at this. Went home, my little apartment, with Eddie Hill. And, um, and I went in my prayer closet, which was actually my closet, because I took everything so very literal. And I had a man journal. And the Lord said, this is the wife you've been praying for. You will marry her. And I wrote it down. And then uh, she came into the church 
And I, I was not really on staff yet because I was vacuuming and doing, you know, I was just like, I would hang out so much at Calvary Vista. They were like, all right, we better give you something to do. And we're concerned you may do more damage than good in Christianity unless we really help you out here. Uh, low IQ, strong back, crazy drive forward. And, and uh, she comes in, and no other pastors are there. So I was like, hi, Eileen. She's like, is there a pastor I can talk to? I've, I've got, you know, like a boyfriend issue. I was like, I'll talk to you. And I tried to ready myself as much as of a future pastor I could be. And he sits down, she goes, I'm dating this guy, and he calls himself a Christian, but he still likes to party and, like, drink and do drugs. And I, I, don't, I don't get it, because she was a brand-new Christian. And she goes, what do you think? I was like, he's a spawn from Satan. You must <laughs> cut it off. <laughs> this really gives insight to my character. And she's like, oh, oh, okay. And immediately I followed up with, so I'm not looking to date anyone, but I want to get married. And I'm going to go into ministry, and I'm going to probably live just beyond the poverty line. I may end up in Africa. Are you into that? <laughs> Am I lying, or is it the truth? It is just, she's like, oh, like I was coming in to, I don't know, it's all pretty sudden. I was like, well, you know, full guns going, that's how I believe. <laughs> She's like, what? Lana, yeah, woo, let me pray. And then she calls me the next morning, she goes, you're a really nice guy. And we're friends, but I, you know, I mean, I, <laughs> so it took her about a year to realize I was the man. And uh, we, we married right there, and uh, we opened up our first martial arts school here in Southern California, and then God gave us great opportunity for things. As a matter of fact, when I was teaching karate, that young man was, how old were you? Second grade. I create killers. <laughs> Don't let all that worship in the Lord fool you. He got a backbone and a right reverse. Um. Yeah, I mean, just amazing stuff, amazing things. And when you see kids grow up and become men and have families, and, you know, we're in this season of our life where we're like, wow, we no longer have any desire to amass or build or grow. We've accomplished everything we possibly could, physically, spiritually, financially, in the sense of, you know, Lord, now our desire is to, in the greatest way, pour back and raise up the next generation. Because they need it. We're in a world, time, and place where they need it. So, I'll, uh, one more little story, and then we'll hit the scripture. Because we're going to be in Micah 6, 8. I like that one. A lot. So, I was never a good pastor. 
I tried. I tried really hard. I even was discipled one-on-one by another Greg, Greg Laurie. Because Greg drove down from Riverside and, you know, I was training him and Topher at the time. And Greg was like, hey, you know, (laughs) he could tell I was messed up. He was like, how about I kind of help you in your faith and grow? And you teach me karate. I said, sounds good. So, um, and then Brian Broderson, you know, again, he brought me on staff. and uh, But I was a mess. Uh, but a mess with good intention. Does that make sense? So there's a couple of things that I've always wanted to do is follow the Lord's will. And by nature, I'm a, I'm a strong protector and provider. These are things that in most men come very naturally, which sometimes causes angst in wives and other people. On our honeymoon in New Orleans, we're walking in a certain part of New Orleans and she stops to give me a little honeymoon kiss and I pushed her away. I said, whoa, no, no, no. She goes, what is wrong with you? It's our honeymoon. I said, no, not, not around here. Let's, let's wait till we're in a more secure environment. <laughs> Truly, that night from a hotel room looking down at that park, cop cars everywhere, somebody was shot and killed. I was like, and you see. <laughs> but this protective part of me, God imprinted me with as a, uh, probably because I saw bad things as a kid growing up, really bad things. Uh, my mother, you know, was married six times. My dad didn't claim me as his kid. When he got her pregnant, he shoved rosary beads down her throat and put a pistol to her head. Uh, I was abused and tortured as a kid and left for dead in a commercial cooler. Uh, 123 visits later to a trauma specialist uh, helped kind of line me out much later in life. I've been on Depakote, Tepakine, Prozac, Zoloft, Lithium, Buspar. I've been on the inside of what they call a padded room. And uh, it wasn't padded. Just to let you know. I thought, well, this is a rip. Budget cuts or what? Um, but when I was on staff, near the end of my pastoring career, because I really tried, uh, I wanted to be like Greg. I wanted to be like the other Greg. I wanted to be like Chuck. And, uh, he, he, and it just didn't work out. As a matter of fact, I, you know, my first group was with little kids. And, and I was, they asked me, to, hey, would you like to teach one time? Yeah, and the regular teacher was there. So I taught about, um, I taught about David and Goliath. I read the story because it was in the workbook. And, and then I matched him. But yet I delivered like a Marine. So I was like, so, hey, here's the deal, kids. This was a battle. You got two sides. I went in tactical structure and everything, you know, and got right into where David, you know, thump, kill. And then I said, when he cut the guy's head off, I'm sure he lifted it just to kind of go, yeah, and yeah, you uncircumcised fellas. I said, you know, if there's still oxygen in the brain, sometimes they're blinking, and there's the kids were like. The teacher in the back was going, please stop. I was like, yes. He oh, stop. Okay, I'll just put the head, I'll just put the head down right here and sing or something. I'll go this way. And then they moved me up to junior high pastor and then college career age. But uh, there was a guy who cheated on his wife, and his daughter was in our deal. And, and he ended up coming to the church, and, and they, for some reason, allowed me to do the counseling, which was a mistake. 
but I looked at the scriptures, tried to apply it, and told her, well, you should forgive them. You don't have to, but you should. You should stay together. Well, that led to a few months later, he did it again. And he got into this pattern. That's not repentance, is it? No, that's, he's sad for getting caught. The third time he came in, still a few months later on another one, she called me first and said, he's high on speed. And when he left, because he cheated again, he punched our little baby, bounced our baby off of a wall. And there's one thing I don't like is child abuse or women to be abused. That's the epitome of the opposite of what God has in store. And when that happened, sure enough, he came into the church. He saw me and then went to find somebody else. I must have had that look. So I tracked him, said, hey, how you doing? He goes, oh, it's a bad day. I said, well, let's go in the office and talk. This time I sat him behind my desk, and I sat by the door. Long story short, he ended up like, oh, I can't believe it's bad. Is there any chance you can call my wife? I said, well, actually, I talked to her. She said that you bounced your little toddler off of a wall. We knew he was caught. And he goes, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know what's wrong with me. Maybe I should get beat. <laughs> I'm not the best at exegetical. I tend to, but I'm good at laying on the hands. <laughs> so I did. I said, that sounds like a great idea. I pinned the guy to the ground. and went to just start gollywhopping him. And uh, he was screaming and kicking. And uh, Gaylor Tovill came, beat on the door, opened up. He said, Victor, Victor. And I'm like, I'm counseling. I mean, this, is, this was my mindset. This, and he's like, could you come here for a minute? I said, all right. And the guy was screaming, called and Gaylord, who knew me very well, he goes, Victor, when people come to the church for counseling, we don't hit them. <laughs> but, you know, I was working on 84 points of my IQ, and I said, hey, oh, I understand, Pastor Gaylord, but I said, he, we have a waiver because he actually asked for it. <laughs> so legally we're clear. And Gaylord Lee was just like, Wow. He was looking at me like, mm, you really are a Marine. And uh, he says, I, I'll take it from here. And I was like, I think you can. He's pretty softened up by now. And I remember walking down the hall, and each pastor's door on the bigger Calvary's, all these associate pastors, I'm walking. They're all looking out going. I'm like, get, yeah, get you some. Well, okay. Tried to start a Calvary Chapel, didn't go great. But my biggest desire was to see people come to faith. Because what is better than seeing somebody's eternity change? Eternity, that's got to be the highest, greatest, most noble thing we can do. But as we work through that, all the radical, neat stuff of God's redemption is right here. So what does God require of us? I love this scripture. It keeps me on track. Micah 6, 8. Hmm. So 
you can read a little bit before the text. Guys want to do a lot. Just want to offer everything to the Lord. You know, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. Verse 8. He says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? It's so simple. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's pretty simple. Man, I think we as believers have made it too difficult. Our faith, our faith should be simple. You ever scratch your head at the number of churches we have, the number of TV shows, radio shows, podcasts, youth groups, and yet still the church struggles severely. I would say more than struggle. I'd say the church in Western Christianity as we know it is broken. I think the chassis on which it is built is broken. See, one of my problems was I didn't want to be like Greg. I did want to be like Greg Laurie. I wanted to be like Chuck. Instead of going, Victor, just be the thumbprint, the fingerprint God made you. There's only one you. It was actually Greg Laurie that helped me out because he knew I wanted to be a pastor so bad because to me, that's what value looked like in Christendom. If you're a pastor, if you're, then, then he said, Victor, I'll never forget, he goes, my kids know some of the most godly people in the world because of the ministry I'm in. They get to meet some of the most godly people. He goes, but you, as their karate guy, makes a bigger impact on their lives than these other guys. Amen. I'm with you. It's got to be our desire to have our identity in him, not our desire to have our identity so other Christians think we're okay. It's such a waste of time and energy. And you actually have to maintenance that. You have to apply energy toward that, right? Versus just saying, I am who I am because of Christ. And it's him alone that I give all glory to, and it's him alone that I live for, not anything else. And he's telling us very clearly, what does the Lord require to act justly? I believe justice and mercy do go hand in hand. I've seen it. I've seen it in our work that we do overseas. In some of the most extreme cases, looking at ISIS, looking at an ISIS fighter, who would want me dead in a heartbeat and going, gosh, he deserves to die, God. He has earned death. And yet the Lord said, but I want you to pray for him. And, you know, part of me was like, whoa, 10 minutes ago, I'd rather shoot him in the face, get all David on him. Old Testament, we say. The Lord's saying, but feel my mercy now. 
and I would have mercy on this guy. All of a sudden, I start talking to him like he's human. <laughs> and asking him about, does he have family? And he knows he's probably going to die pretty soon. How is his wife going to be as a widow and his children? And, you know, I asked him, can I pray for your family? And he said, please, please. Then I asked him, why did you join ISIS? Because my brother did, and he laid out these things. And and I said, do you know what's going to happen to you when you die? And he goes, inshallah, whatever God wills. I said, can I share with you? Because I know I could die today, tomorrow, because of what we do, trying to help recover women and children from guys like him. Help those who have been affected. I said, can I tell you? Because I know when I die, what's going to happen. He goes, yes. And I shared the gospel with him. And then at the end, I said, is there any reason why you don't want that assurance? You, what would you like to invite Christ into your life? And he said, yes. And I start leading him in a prayer to receive Christ. And how many of you know there's always spiritual warfare that goes on? Always. The enemy doesn't give up souls easy like that. And I prayed with him, and he was repeating the prayer all the way to, in Jesus' name. And when he, when I said in Jesus' name, he stopped, looked up, and shook his head, and his face contorted. It was grotesque what he turned into. And just like that, it was demonic. A demonic presence came upon that man that, well, I'll just tell you, one of the broken parts of our think of our Christianity is we don't want to talk about evil. We just want to talk about God. We don't want to address darkness. We minimize it. Let me tell you, we should never minimize the works of darkness We should just stand in authority against it. But minimizing it is a form of coping that says, well, it's not really bad. Yes, it is. It's very bad. That's why divorces are happening, infidelity, drug addictions, suicides in the church. In the church. Mental illness. In the church. And yet, we push back and go, I don't, I'm like, well, that is our enemy. We should know him and stand up with authority against him. And when this guy t- just contorted, I was like, whoa. And then he had hand ties on, and he snapped them. He was sitting down. There's a picture on our, in my social media. You can see him. And I had one of my dogs looking at him right there. He snapped. The dog keyed up. Iraqi army. There was some fellows start running. And then my personal bodyguard, uh, Hassan, who's a Muslim, can you actually love Muslims? Yeah, I thought so. And uh, Hassan was like, Bleh. and I said, wait, everybody, wait. I was like, wait a minute. He was right there. I was about to close the deal. I was about to close the deal. Oh, how can this be happening like that? No. They grabbed him. They, they shanked him up again, tighter, you know. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And, and then all of a sudden, because I was praying. I think I started praying in tongues. I don't know. Do y'all still do that? Uh, some Calvaries don't really speak in tongues, but, you know, it's a gift. And I think it was tongues. Yeah, it was. It wasn't Arabic, because I'll tell you right now, I don't know much of that. 
<clears throat> all of a sudden, his face changed and got calm again. The evil left him. And I looked at him, and I was like, oh, man. Because <laughs> he about got done right there quick. I said, there's no way that God brought me from the United States to be here in Mosul, in Old Town, fighting. You could, I mean, mortars and shooting, but right in the middle of it as a high-risk missionary to share the gospel with you that you would not give your life to Christ. There is no way. I said, you know, you're probably not, because Iraqi justice is different. It's like, oh, you're a bad guy. And I said, when you know you're going to die, call out to Jesus. He will save you. And he smiled. He said, thank you. And they took him away. And you're, you're concerned about witnessing to your neighbor? <laughs> you should have drugged two people to church this morning by their ears. That, side note, Hassan, my personal bodyguard, I love him. I, I can't. <clears throat> he goes, boss, I'm very sorry. I said, why? He goes, I seen the face and the evil and the... And the he said, so I was just going to shoot him in the face. But he goes, I'm wait. You know, you say the nice things first. <laughs> Meaning he's like, you talk about the Lord and say the prayer, but I won't going to shoot him, but I'm wait. I respect, you know. I'm like, thanks for not shooting him. Like it's, and then Jesus, peace. The <clears throat> son. Welcome to our world. A few summers ago, we brought our kids to Camp Kanakuk. No, actually, we couldn't afford it, so we brought them to Iraq. We brought our children. We said, this year, you're going to Camp Iraq. We have a safe house, and we actually brought them. And when we would recover children out of horrible positions, our teenage kids, we were like, here, we got to rest. We're getting older. Teenagers will do far more than you think they will if you just raise the standard of what's, cap- what's the right thing. And teenagers, listen to me. Don't live according to the standard of this world, this culture. Man, it, it, I mean, it's not good. And you don't have to be mean and horrible to people, including your parents. But my gosh, God created you. And don't think you got to wait. Don't think you've got to wait a little while. I think this next generation coming up, man, I think they're going to be the biggest, baddest, boldest people ever because they've seen it all. They have seen it all. So do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. I think you've got to redefine what the term humble is. Sometimes Christians think humble I like it when I, you know, I've told people, hey, man, that was a great message. Oh, all glory to God. All glory to him. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of a given. That's our baseline. I was just kind of give you credit for preparing or it was a good message, man. Oh, like they're, they're worried like worms are going to bust out of their intestines and their eyes from some Old Testament story. I'm like, take the compliment and say thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? 
I mean, humility, it's just false humility. It's weird. Versus go, hey, I'm just going to follow the Lord and, you know, try to live for him. And whatever happens, happens. But good, bad, or indifferent, I'm just going to walk humbly before him. He wants us to take care of widows and orphans. You know that? Calls that undefiled religion. There's one thing that I've found, regardless of religion, race, creed, parties, left, right, people do care about kids, except unborn ones. <clears throat> but once they're born, I think we should care about the unborn to the point of action. And I think one of the reasons why our country's upside down right now is because of passiveness among Christians. And I'll pin it on men. And I'll pin it on our Christian colleges that started compromising instead of producing men with only grace, they missed out a large ingredient, which is grit. And we need to put grit back into the to the young men and men. Hey, I just got asked to do an endorsement on the back of a book for, it's called Redneck CEO. How many, how many remember Curves for women? Yeah, it's the president of Curves. He's a friend of ours. And, uh, and you know, what a great, I mean, I was reading a book on the way over here on the plane. Great book. I'm reading the manuscript. But he, man, it's so gritty because he failed and got back up, failed and got back up, failed and got, he loves the Lord, but he wouldn't stop. Nowadays, you know, the Department of Defense is flying me into military bases to speak to active duty members who the resiliency is so small, even like, what, a week and a half ago, I was at Fort Benning where they're taking young men and women to create soldiers. They've had to double the timeline for boot camp to create the same soldier they were doing 10 years ago. Twice the time. When I went to boot camp as a Marine here in San Diego, I mean, they got you, maggot. Yeah, yeah. And be like, oh, yes, sir. Now, you know, like, it won't amount to nothing. I know. I'll just. <laughs> and the drill instructors are like, what is going on? I tell them, you can't push a string. This generation, you got to wrap and pull. You got to look them in the eye and say, you got what it takes. Now I'm going to help you get there because you don't even believe in yourself. Why? Because our culture and Christianity in so many churches has created grace-filled but zero grit guys. And you know who I get biggest complaints from? Single girls. They're like, where is the men? I said, hang on, we're working on it. We are working on it. I got three daughters, two are married. I got three grandbabies and one on the way. They're all daughters. They're all girls. So we developed a leadership and training academy center out in Colorado. And believe me, guys come out there, you're going to learn to do this, this, use this, this, heart, right? Be a man. Whatever God place, wherever God puts you back in your sphere of influence. Because I do believe Every man is to lead the kingdom he's been put over, which is under God's kingdom. You lead well. You know the strongest thing my wife tells me when I'm messing up? Because we do get in arguments. <laughs> we doozies. We got, we got an argument in Iraq. 
Can you imagine that? We got Assad's men, I don't know, 150 yards from us. We got ISIS over here. We're, we're sacked up on a little hole of a room. I'm like, hey. I'll be your Arabian night. She's like, here, now? What are you talking about? I go, there's always time for love. It's 1 a.m. We, <laughs> I ain't worried. Uh, <laughs> look at me. I'm telling you the truth. We were arguing one time and I go, we're in Iraq. I, that was in Syria, but I was like, we're in Iraq. I can give me another wife. I can add to y'all. <laughs> she looked at me and goes, I'll help you pick one out then. <laughs> That's the woman I'm married to. I'm like, <clears throat> okay, next that idea. But ladies, you know what my wife has learned? Don't nag at me. Don't push me. It ain't going to work. Most men, we're too, we have too much tenacity. That's another word for stubbornness. You know one line that just floors me every time? She uses it sparingly, but she'll say, when I'm messing up, she'll say, honey, lead me better than this. Roger that. She just says, lead me better than that, honey. You know what? She's calling me to a level of manhood that I know I can be. She makes me want to be the best man that I can be versus all that nagging. And then I look at her and go, hey. (laughs) Calm down. Yeah, (laughs) find the other wife, exactly. Hey, I want to close with this. You don't have to go to Iraq or Syria or Cambodia or other places we minister. You don't have to go on military base. To to be used of God in a way that's so personal. If you're a mom at home, you should see that as a glorious opportunity to walk, hear from the Lord. But you have to spend time with Him. In order to cultivate what you're hearing, there's one thing I'll leave you all with. Is take every thought captive. Take every thought captive. We lose the battle of temptation and energy and warfare because we're not willing to take every thought captive and go, is that God, the enemy, or me? It's three sources, unless you have multiple personalities, and then that's, yeah, 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 four, five, six, seven. No, listen to me. I'm telling y'all, learn to discern and take thoughts captive. I pray for people all the time, all over the world, who've not yet taken thoughts captive. And guess what? They get taken. And when you start to get driven, guarantee you that's the enemy. The Holy Spirit will lead you. He's a good shepherd. The enemy will drive you, drive you, drive you. I've never thought of myself as anything other than an ordinary man who by following the Lord has been able to do extraordinary things. And a lot of times it didn't make sense, but I didn't care. Because I felt like if I heard from him, I'm going to do it. And that's how my wife is. I was sitting on a plane descending. I go, she goes, what's wrong? I go, I think I'm supposed to pray for this guy. I think he's got demonic oppression. She goes, well, pray for him. All right, pray for him. Guy was weeping, tears got free before we touched down. When I went to Iraq the first time, 
which is the first of 14 trips to the Middle East, 90 missions, helping over 40,000 kids and women. My wife goes, I feel like I'm supposed to go with you. I said, no, you're not. Got a huge argument. Finally, I said, why do you want to go? We're going into ISIS territory, bad things happen. She goes, because when you find the girls, our mission was to find a, a group of girls. She goes, when you find them, and I know you will, because I put together a real A team of former Delta, Marines, Force uh, Seals. Because I believe in prayer and angels and people with gifts. Just like Seal Team 6, they just rescued an American, right? God bless Seal Team 6. Let me tell you something. She goes, when you find those girls, and I know you will, you can't hug them, but I can. And I said, you're willing to risk your life to hug a girl? She goes, yes. She goes, what's the worst that can happen? We die? I'm like, yeah, that death. You know what her response was? She goes, well, then don't we win? I'm like, yeah. You really believe this stuff, like at this level. I mean, I believe it, but like, I, I believe it like in a, you know, hospice and family around and, and just, just tune it up, bring them down so I can kind of get. My wife's like, hey, well, whenever, wherever he takes us home, that's his business. It's not ours. So I think there's always a great opportunity to be used of God in ways that even though many would say, oh, well, whatever, you trust God. Here in town, maybe some of you remember, there was a 10-year-old kid who, because of a horrible circumstance he was in, his father at the time was head of a white supremacist group. Does anybody remember the 10-year-old, the story of the 10-year-old going there and shooting his dad? Killing him. Yeah, y'all remember? Made the news that 60 Minutes had just interviewed the father. And then uh, it was horrible. Well, we go into youth prisons. We've been doing this for years. And I got the opportunity to go in and visit with this little 10-year-old. His jumpsuit was so huge, it didn't even fit him, nor his shoes. I remember walking in, they, they gave us an office, I remember walking in, and I said, God, what am I, what do you want me to say? Tell me, because I don't know. I walked in, and this little kid was shaking, still post-traumatic stress from everything. You know what I asked him? I asked him a question. What would you ask him? What would you say? I felt like God gave me this. I looked at him and I said, young man, do you miss your dad? And he started crying. Yes. I said, that's a normal response. You should. A lot of people gave up on that kid. I didn't. Because to me, he was like an orphan. There's more to the story if one day it would come out. But you know what? I said, I know what it's like to not have a dad. Or to have dads that do not good things. I said, I give you my word, I'll be a spiritual dad to you. The rest of your life. That's a heavy commitment, ain't it? 
One thing I've learned is don't say what you're not going to do. I would visit him when I could. We'd write back and forth. And you know what? He gave his life to the Lord. And did all of his time. Many years. And then he got out. And I got a Facebook message that said, You said you'd be my spiritual dad. I didn't forget. I said, neither did I. And we reconnected. And God has his hand on his life. In a big way. And he's about through with all of his parole time and all that. And I hope to bring him on board in the ministry to serve with me. So guess what? So that I can put him back into youth prisons. To start speaking to kids who come from troubled, abused backgrounds. Uh, He's here today. Yeah. guys, the Lord wants to do above and beyond all that we could ever think or ask. You just got to be willing to embrace a level of suffering that isn't common to the church, but it is common to our faith. Never let fear keep you from doing God's will, because God's not given you as a believer a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And I'm not saying fear won't come upon you, because it will, but I'll say that you can have a sound mind. And God's love casts out all fear, changes everything. And he loves you. Because he is in the business of saving souls, redeeming lives. And look at me. You know what's going to happen for sure after Tuesday on this election? You want me to give you our prediction? God wants us to... Right? Be justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with them. Nothing changes for us. What some Christians fear, we've lived in the Middle East. I mean, I've taken Christians like y'all and moved them out of a country because they were under persecution for ISIS. They lost everything. Guess what? They continue to walk with the Lord. What are we afraid of? Vote. Make the difference. Don't be passive and be a light in darkness. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, so, so much. And it is apparent you had me here for a reason. All last minute, but you ordained this. And it's for some watching. It's for those here today. And God, I pray you do what you want to do in each person's individual life. Do a great mighty thing. There are some here, Lord, they're addicted. There's some watching, they're addicted. They don't have to be anymore. They can be set free by the power of you, God. And it doesn't matter however that looks. If they need to 
If they need to go to AA, let them go to AA. Lord, if you want to supernaturally touch and zap them, the power of your Holy Spirit, do it. Or there are some whose marriages are on the brink because of infidelity. I pray, God, that you would bring forgiveness in, Lord, and heal and mend and mold. Because marriage is honorable in your sight. And God, I pray for single people that you continue to encourage them to seek you, to live pure. Lord, you gave us those Ten Commandments for a reason. Lord, that none of that ever justifies, but that moral code is the best chance we have of everybody being on the same page and doing right. And finally, God, I pray, Lord, for those who know they're on the back nine and they're closer to you than closer to when they first arrived on this earth, I pray you would stir up in them a fire and a passion to renew their days, Lord, to use their finances for your glory, to use their giftedness for you, Lord. And it doesn't matter what you put us to as long as we're faithful to do it. Not one thing's better than the other. And Lord, I thank you for this lighthouse right here. Man, Lord, what a great opportunity to reach people. And I pray for Pastor Greg and his family. I pray that this body of believers would protect them through prayer would stand up and guard them in the front and the rear. I pray against any future gossip that would be shot down and there'd be honor and integrity in this place. And God, I thank you for their courage to come and start a new work. They could have stayed fat cats in certain areas, but Lord, they follow you, so that's what matters. So save many, just like you Just like you did for me and my wife, Lord. When we were lost living in this area. I'm at Camp Pendleton and I don't know what she was doing. But thank you for saving us both. And all these years later, over three decades, we're back here. Giving you a testimony of your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for protecting us. Thank you for redeeming our lives. You're the great redeemer. That's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.